Hello and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I'm Ashley Nickel with the Packer and PMG, and we have with us today our editor-in-chief, Tom Karst, and our copy chief and designer, Amelia Friedline. Guys, thanks so much for joining for kind of a special edition of the uh, of the podcast today. We were thinking about, we've had so much internal discussion on what to do as far as coverage of the Environmental Working Group's Dirty Dozen list. It might just be good to have the conversation so everybody can hear it. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it, it's that time of year again, I guess. And it's been how many years has has it been? It seemed like a lot. A big part of my career at the Packer has been, you know, the, with this in the periphery of of uh, happening every year, and we've uh, stressed the industry perspective on it and the fact that uh, it's kind of an attention grabbing and not peer reviewed, not scientifically vetted in the in the full sense. So. It's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's amazing how much attention it grabs in the consumer market, right? So, so I think it's important for us to account for both of those things with, of course, an emphasis on, on the industry perspective and the fact that it does have some shortcomings that are, that consumers should be aware of for sure. Yeah, when I was thinking over it uh, this morning, I thought it's kind of like those awkward but necessary conversations that parents have with their kids like all of your all of your consumers are going to be talking about this or paying attention to this so if you don't talk to them about it somebody else will uh-huh, and uh-huh. the somebody else you know in this case is the environmental working group flawed or deficient um, methodology so yeah it's important for industry folks to um, to be aware of what their consumers are reading and hearing, even though no one likes to hear about the dirty dozen. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a, a. I was I was listening to a podcast the other day, which always seems to be the way I introduce topics to my family. Like, oh, think about this, but uh, how how humans like to think of things in binary terms, like good or bad, or you know right or wrong or what have you. And I think that's what the this listing appeals to. It's like, oh, somebody's organizing this for me and, and it, you know, giving me a story around what they've done. And it kind of is what I need. I need a story about this so I, you know, can act accordingly or what have you. I don't know if that resonates with anybody, but I think in a way that these lists kind of do that for people, you know, no, I think in a way. Means- Ashley, what's your thought on, on all that? I, I agree, Tom. I think it takes something incredibly complex and, you know, makes it something that is easily digestible, even though the message, um, to me, couldn't be further from the message that people actually need to be getting. Um, I was looking on the, the Centers for Disease, Preven- Disease Control and Prevention. Let me get that right. Um, I was looking on their website just to kind of double check because I thought I knew what like kind of the approximate obesity rate for the country was, which obviously has caused a, a crisis for the health system. Um, it's over 40%. So when you've got a country that's in crisis um, with a lot of chronic illnesses that are related to obesity um, and all the quality of life issues, issues that causes and all those kind of things. And they're putting out this list that says, well, you know, um, you should eat fruits and vegetables 
but try to buy organic for these items. If it puts doubt in your mind about some of them, why wouldn't it put doubt in your mind about all of them? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that's not just, um, I, to me, it's common sense, but that's, that's not the only thing. I mean, there's been peer-reviewed research. Uh, the Alliance for, for Food and Farming has pointed this out that has shown that when people see these messages, they're more likely to buy less of produce in general, organic or conventional, especially among lower income shoppers. So it's, um, it's, it's really damaging uh, messaging, I think. Certainly that's the industry perspective and you know, kind of looking at it from a, from a public health perspective. Um, but with all that said, Amelia, like you said, it's important for people to know what are the things that consumers are being influenced by, um, particularly for the retail crowd, you know, what, what are people being fed? What are they going to come in looking to buy organic, you know, because they may have been influenced by this list. Uh, the other thing is I think it's important. Um, and that's why we try to include as we write about it, you know, kind of the step-by-step, like, this is who the group is, you know, this is what they do. Um, this is why it's not a great message. You know, this is what other like peer reviewed research says. Um, so that maybe, maybe retailers can, even if they get questions about it, you know, have some ammunition to talk to people and say, well, you know, they put out this thing, but here's our perspective on it. You know, that's a a good point about retailers. I'm sure they're walking a a fine line, right? They've got a, uh, they've got to, uh, be a little tread a little tread a little carefully i would i, I would expect but uh, any any i guess retailers that do make that effort i admire them because it's, it's not an easy call to, to do that i don't think because on one hand you want to make sure that you're stocking those items that people are going to be coming there looking for in organic um but at the same time you want to be able to answer people's concerns if they're, you know, if they're trying to decide between, you know, two versions of an item, conventional organic. And I haven't looked this up, but I was wondering if on some of the dirty dozen quote unquote list, um, if there are pretty significant um, price premium differences between the conventional and organic items. I don't know that for sure. But, you know, for some people, that extra premium for the organic prob- uh, sorry, product might be the difference between whether they buy it at all or not. And so, yeah, it's, right, it's really important for retailers to know how to, how to address those consumer concerns so that they're still offering you know, the product that some people are going to come in and want regardless of the science, uh, but they're also allaying the fears and concerns of those who think, well, if I buy this, am I uh, affecting my family's health negatively? Is this responsible? So they can tell them that, yes, it is responsible. (laughs) It is good. And yeah, the, um, I think the, the whole um, science behind this is, is hard. I mean, it's, it's complex. And, I, and, and you think about organic produce. I mean, I think maybe the perception is among a lot of consumers is that organic has no pesticides, which of course it does have pesticides, only those that are approved for the organic uh, program. But 
that I think may, maybe most people think, well, it's organic. That means there's no pesticides, but you know, not, not the case necessarily. Yeah, consumer so education as a whole is is quite the uphill climb, and and we we talk about that in this industry on a ton of different issues, of course. But I do think um, the use of pesticides, the reason why the dirty doesn't has so much influence is because they're making, like you said, Tom, a, a really simplified statement on something that's complex, and your average person really doesn't know anything about. You know, the average person has no idea what goes into commercial agriculture and the challenges that come from weeds and pests and all the other uh, things that pop up uh, in, in an operation. And so something that I know I've, I've written about, and I totally understand that this is daunting if you're a grower shipper, but finding ways to communicate about the use of pesticides in a, in a holistic manner. I actually saw it on a company's website the other day. They said, we don't grow organic. We do use pesticides. We work with an agronomist to make sure that we're using the right amounts and doing so responsibly. And we are proud to sell the food that we grow and we eat it ourselves and we give it to our families. And I thought even something as simple as that, when you acknowledge it, you kind of take the, the power out of it. Because I, I think a lot of folks, you just hear pesticides and it's a scary word and you've got no context and no one's telling you why it's used or why it's important or, or anything like that. And I know that's a scary door to, to open if you're going to be a little more transparent. And I think about the operation in general and just teach people about what goes into growing strawberries or growing spinach or, you know, some of these different items. I think it has a place in the larger story of how you do what you do. We hear all the time about this trend of people wanting to know more about their food. I think people would be stunned if they had even an inkling of what it takes to get something from a field to the store at the grocery shelf and then to the store at the grocery shelf. That sounded a little funky, but you know what I meant? <laughs> I think, you know, um, had yeah, any yeah. Concept, you know, I think they don't, but yet in the same way, if, if they think about, well, hey, I've tried to plant a tomato, you know, or a few cucumbers in my backyard, and that was pretty hard. So, <laughs> I mean, they should be able to extrapolate that, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do, you know. Yeah, and I think that also um, most consumers have no idea of how fine-tuned pesticide application or really anything that happens in growing operations nowadays is. I mean, we have all of these sort of pesticide horror stories, if you will, from yesteryear, you know, like decades ago, when there were, you know, genuine problems that needed to be corrected. And um, I think it's just amazing the precision with which growers, you know, apply any kind of um, pesticide or fertilizer, anything, or even water to their crops. I mean, all of that is so fine-tuned now. It's, it's just amazing. And so I think, you know, that might be a little high level for most consumers, but even just like you said, Ashley, for a company to explain on their website or somehow that, you know, this is how serious we are about, you know, being good stewards of 
our land and our crops and our resources, regardless of whether we grow organic or not. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't have to be worried that, you know, that we're dumping tons of synthetic fertilizers or pesticides on our fields, that that's not what we're doing at all, that we don't want to do that, that that costs us more money to do, you know, among other things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite an educational process. And it seems like I've seen photos of some retail uh, produce departments that have little uh, signs explaining what organic means in terms of the USDA's, you know, certified organic seal. Um, but that's not something that I see very often. And I don't know if it would just get overlooked by your average shopper who wants to get in and get out. Um, but even having something like that, maybe, you know, a little card in the organic section or somewhere in the department that explains this is what goes into organic agriculture, because it's not just quote unquote, no pesticides. Mm -hmm. It's not just non-synthetic pesticides, but you know, there's soil care um, practices that go along with that too. Absolutely. Well, and I'm guessing probably what, I mean, again, this is a long-term thing. So I'd imagine that every little bit helps, right? So every company who puts on their website, something like that one that I read off earlier, yes, you know, we use them. We work with an agronomist, you know, we're, we're very careful to use just the right amount, proud to sell it, proud to give it to our families. We eat it. Um, you know, we are confident in the safety of it. And, and then also little signs at retail or also, you know, when the industry works with influencers, you know, having that be something when you have a trusted influencer partner that you can engage with and, and educate them. And then maybe they can, you know, work that into some of their conversations with people. I think just little touch points, you know, adding as many of those as possible. Um, and especially in places where there's more space for conversation, you know, so, um, I know influencer marketing is something that is growing a lot. So I think that's an opportunity. I know um, the Alliance for Food and Farming has has been a huge advocate of of trying to get out the the right information and and especially around the timing of the dirty dozen to kind of counteract that, um, give mainstream media outlets access to some of these other resources or like, hey, um, eating fruits and vegetables is really important. So you really don't want to scare people away from eating them, you know? Um, so it's going to be a long-term effort, I think, but, but I think there is value to be gained, um, in people engaging and not like everybody at some point is, is going to know, uh, how a commercial, you know, strawberry production works or anything, but just enough to know that like, this is part of the process. Um, it's safe. It's good for you to eat you know, your fruits and vegetables, like trust us, we're, we're aware of this, we take measures to make sure everything is good to go. Um, you know, just communicating about responsible practices, really. Right. And at the same time, there's a story for organics as well. And, and, and the young consumer who is really kind of drawn to that, I mean, that's, that's legit. I don't think that would go away. And, and uh, so there's a story to be told about organics, and not just about pesticides, but about other you know, other ways that it's perhaps a, a good long-term 
approach to farming. So mm-hmm. there's always a balance on how we look at things, but uh, yeah, I, I like what, you know, your example actually about somebody that is trying to inform, you know, the public saying, you know, this is, we're responsible farmers or we care about what we do. We care about the way we do it. That That's really smart to, to do that. And I, I think, you know, those that do take that approach are going to turn out, turn out well, I think. Yeah, I know, I know transparency can be a really scary uh, thing in marketing and you want to be thoughtful and strategic about how you do that, which maybe sounds uh, contradictory to the word transparency, but I do think, you know, long-term kind of storytelling holistically about the business and what goes into it. Um, not, not ever going to be an overnight kind of thing, but, you know, maybe over the course of a decade with all everybody talking about how people want to know more about their food, maybe some of these messages come through, you know, um, responsibility and growing practices. You know, if that's something that comes through, um, then the pesticide thing, then the, the dirty dozen thing, it won't be so scary. It won't have as much hold over people if there's more widely available information about yeah, there are pesticides. That's that's part of commercial agriculture. It, it doesn't have to be scary. Like these are safe for you. These are healthy for you. This is going to help you do what you want to do in life in a lot of different areas. It seems like even over the past maybe two or three years, as the um, EWG has published their new version of the Dirty Dozen, it seems like the coverage in the consumer media has been not quite at such a fever pitch as we've seen in years past, where it was almost like a hysteria of your pet, your fruits and vegetables are laden with chemicals. But in the past couple of years, it seems like we've seen uh, more of the consumer press, including the Alliance for Food and Farming's perspective, or at least, you know, talking more about the EWG's methodology and that Additional studies have shown um, that pesticide residues are at such a low level that you'd have to eat like an impossible amount of any one produce item in one day to ever consume enough (laughs) to do you harm. And at that point, you're probably harmed from eating 40 (laughs) pounds of carrots in one day or something, (laughs) if that's even possible. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys for, for joining for the discussion today. I know because we'll, we, we know that this list causes so much aggravation for the industry because it's so frustrating um, f- for pretty much everybody who works in the business, I think, or many, many people. It's more than a job. It's something you do because you're passionate about giving people good fuel for their bodies. It's going to set them up for success for the rest of their life. I mean, it's a you know, it's a real, um, it's more than a job to so many people. And so to see that kind of questioned and, um, you know, uh, disparaged with, with the way that this list is, is done and communicated is really frustrating for people. Um, but again, the reason why we write up something on it for our website, of course, we're industry facing. So it makes sense for the industry to know you know, these are the things that are going out that your consumers might be hearing so you can be aware, so you can respond accordingly. Um, so that's why we do it. We find it aggravating also. 
and um, we're uh, we're we're excited to see how you know companies take the opportunity to to work in little bits of education you know um, in the coming years that I think will be really beneficial for the industry overall. So with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us for this special edition. And we'll see everybody next time on our Tip of the Iceberg podcast.